everybody. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Should old acquaintance be forgot something, something? I don't know the words. What does old Lang Syne mean? I mm, I got to look that up, actually. <laughs> I think about that sometimes and I never I never bother to look. And then but I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. Um. So old Lang Syne is, um, at least according to Wikipedia, a Scots language poem written by uh, Robert Burns in 1788. Okay. Um, the poem's Scots title may be translated into standard English as Old Lawn Since, or less literally, Long Long Ago, Days Gone By, or Old Times. Consequently, for Old Lang Syne, as it appears in the first line of the chorus, may be loosely translated as For the Sake of Old Times. I like, I've always liked Old Lang Syne. It always felt very bittersweet to me. But like in a good way. Uh, you rarely see people sing that song at like New Year's anymore. It's all no, nobody ever sings it, but it's always in things like that. Like you, you hear the music, I guess. Like that's its legacy. It's like in like Christmas specials sometimes, you know, it is sometimes. Yeah, it's like background music, you know, or like um, it, during things with uh, New Year's in it. Or what? Or what? Or just the holidays? It'll just be like kind of the ending song sometimes. <laughs> See, I associate New Year's with being on a train, guys in gorilla suits. Never mind. I was trying to make a Trading Places reference, but it was uh, okay. going nowhere as soon as <laughs> I said. I knew it was a bad idea going in. I figured maybe I could salvage it, and it didn't work. That's okay. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Then <laughs> the worst of us. And the worst of us. So how was your Christmas, Amanda? It was pretty good. Um, my Christmas was okay. It was, um, I saw um, my grandma and my dad, um, and then spent the rest of the day with um, my brother and my mom and, and Tristan, um, my partner. And so um, then we just played board games, sat around, you know, That's chilling. Fun. That's yeah. fun. You get anything nice with Santa good to you this year? Yeah, um, I got a, a pasta maker. Um, Ooh, that's yeah, fun. So I could make pasta um, and become my ultimate Italian self. Um, Bitchin'. Oh, my little brother, he got a PS5 for Christmas. Oh, shit. Nice. And uh, guess who was able to get his hands on it for him? Nice. Yeah. I, I can finally tell you this story now that he has it, but um, my little brother, he wanted a PlayStation 5 for Christmas, but you know how hard it was to get those. Oh, so yeah. one, so I fo- started following it, like a Twitter account that would tell you when, when and where PS5s were available. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving my little brother to like um, his Trek cross-country team's uniform drop-off. So like, because they make like a whole thing about it where they like, call you one at a time and you drop it off and all that, I had to like mm-hmm. wait in the car for like a half hour. Yeah. Um, so I'm like waiting in the car and I'm just going through Twitter. I see, um, PlayStation five bundles on available on sale on GameStop right now. I immediately go on there. It's running real slow because hey, I'm in a parking lot with bars instead of Wi-Fi and on my phone and mm-hmm. instead of like a dedicated computer and B, you know, everyone else is on their website, but miraculously I am able to get one of those bundles. So for like, um, like it would be approximately the same price as it would be if I bought everything individually. I got 
I was able to get him the system, an extra controller, uh, a new set of headphones for it. Nice. Um, and two games, Spider-Man Miles Morales and nice. uh, Demon Souls. Nice. And he's been like in hog heaven with that thing. That's so great. You know, and of course we like hid it from him. It took like acts of covert espionage to sneak the package past him when it came in the mail. <laughs> That's amazing. My youngest brother, he had to lure him outside um, by asking him to bring in the other trash can while he snuck the package upstairs. Nice. Um, and we all like acted like, like, you know, we're, you know, there's a likely chance that we won't be able to get that for you for Christmas. And yeah. then after like all the prints are open, mom brought down like the PlayStation 5 afterwards and he <laughs> freaked out. F-words flying everywhere. Happy F-words. Oh, yeah. Which mortified my mom. Of course. They always do with mothers. And now we're doing that thing where we like talk for minutes on end on the podcast without actually like getting to the topic at hand itself. Yeah. Should we be getting to the topic at hand itself? Probably. All right. Today, in honor of the upcoming new year, we'll be discussing, I think, probably the only New Year's direct direct video movie that Disney's ever done. Yes. Technically. Yeah. This is a movie of yeah. sorts. And we'll get into that later. From 2002, it's Winnie the Pooh, a very merry poo year. What do we think of this movie? It's cute. You can't, I can't, like, th- that's literally, like, the biggest takeaway. As with most things, Winnie the Pooh, um, like, there's, like, the, the, like, really good and great Winnie the Pooh stuff. And you're like, you know... It's like, you know, uh, like I re- like I really like the Tigger movie and stuff like that. And like the old Winnie the Pooh and whatever, you know. And then there's just the stuff that you just nod your head at and you're like, yeah, that's cute. It's really I don't think I've seen something Winnie the Pooh and been like, that's bad, you know, but it's <laughs> it's nothing spectacular. It's just a, a Pooh Christmas movie. <laughs> New Year's movie. We should point out that the, not all of this was made specifically for this movie in mind. Rather, it's a compilation film with two primary segments. One is a new segment made exclusively for the movie, Happy Poo Year. And then the other is repurposing the old 1991 Christmas special, Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2. Yes. um, Which was made as like the Christmas special for the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh Saturday morning cartoon that aired on ABC. New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh aired... Um, from 1988 to 1991 on ABC. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the history behind New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is particularly, well, not actually very interesting, given that it's actually pretty mercenary and how it was created. Essentially, mm-hmm. it came when um, then Vice President of Walt Disney Television Animation, Gary Crisell, was like, hey, Winnie the Pooh at Saturday morning cartoon would make us money. Let's make it. Mm-hmm. And then they gave it to ABC because ABC was third place in the Saturday morning cartoon ratings and they wanted Disney series to, like boost their ratings. And mm-hmm. Michael Eisner offered it to them exclusively um, because he used to work for ABC and offered them as like a show of personal loyalty, mainly because and this mainly because um, when initially per- pitching the Wuzzles and Adventures of the Gummy Bear, he was going to shop it around to um, the three main networks. But then NBC and CBS picked up the two before they could even meet with ABC. Ah. So 
they've met with them anyway. It's like, hey, we're sorry, but we got nothing. Sorry. So yeah, definitely offering this to ABC with like a show of personal loyalty. Mm. And ABC actually marketed the hell out of this. And even in prime time, mainly because there was also a 1988 writer's strike going on then. Mm-hmm. But even though it has such like mercenary origins, it's actually it's actually probably one of the most beloved of the um, Disney of the Disney Saturday morning cartoons of the late 80s and 90s. That's because you know, it right has up- such a different like tone to it than the rest of them, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, the, the other like more like adventure oriented shows, mm-hmm. this one, it's still an element of adventuring, but it also a lot of life, like slice of life elements. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely more, shall we say, lar- grander in scope than, say, like typical Winnie the Pooh fair, like, um, you know, the... Mm-hmm. The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, the original film and the yeah. um the featurette compilation that it that um the that was the main Disney Pooh thing before this series came about. Yeah. You yeah. have you wa- are you familiar with the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh? I used to watch it as a, a kid, but um when they used to do the like um I don't know when they would do it. I don't know when um, I recently went back and like went through a list of like uh, various like channels and stuff like that and their um, like their like programs and stuff like that. And I was like, how the fuck did I watch this much TV as a kid? Who let me do this? You know, like who sat me? How much brain rot did I have like sitting like on my floor eating Cheez-Its every day? Like just like binge watching SpongeBob over and over, but like I um I was like, damn, I've seen so many of these, you know, and I don't know when the like uh they did re- did did reruns of um like the old Saturday morning cartoons for Disney, but I know I've seen like a good chunk of them, um uh and like for a while too, um. And this was like in there. It wasn't one that I like remember great as greatly as I do. Like say like um, uh, like Chip and Dale. I was really into and um, Rescue Rangers. You mean? Yeah. And uh, like I really liked um, the um, Aladdin and like Ariel cartoons and stuff like that. Um, I never. Yeah, I really just remember sitting there and being like, yeah, Winnie the Pooh. But, um, uh, I, yeah, I loved, I, I really like just always loved Winnie the Pooh. See, see, I'm not necessarily familiar with, um, new adventures of Winnie the Pooh from like airings on television. So I'm sure they had to like rerun it points on like playhouse Disney, which for you youngins who probably aren't listening to this is what they called the Disney junior block before they called it Disney junior. Yeah. But I'm mainly familiar with it from, um, from um, like um, various home video releases of, of the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, such as one. I remember I distinctly had a VHS tape of the Western episode where they like, mm-hmm. they're like, you know, in like a Western setting. And then the villains are like this cowboy bandit who's like, a guy doing a Jack Nicholson impression. Nice. Um, and then, of course, also from like compilation films like this one, the other 
um, big Winnie the New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh compilation film, um, Winnie the Pooh Seasons of Giving, which puts together um, the Groundhog's Day episode um, where they mistakenly think it's Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also um, with the probably most beloved episode of that show, Find Her Keeper, you know, the one mm-hmm. with Kessie, the bird that Rabbit raises. Yeah, I remember that. Honestly, many people have probably said it before about that episode, but it's very sophisticated for like, especially for like Saturday morning cartoons at the time, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, it was like a remarkably well-written show, especially like in like an era when Disney was putting out remark you know, very well-written um, Saturday morning cartoons by the standards of the era, you yeah. know, because, like, a lot of them weren't masterpieces. Oh, yeah. Like, besides the Disney afternoon stuff, what, what Saturday morning cartoons could you say have, have, like, genuinely good writing? Like, real Ghostbusters and... Yeah. That's it? I love um, this holiday. Um, I... Um, Re- just rewatching the Ghostbusters Christmas Carol episode always makes me smile. Um, just like uh, while you still can, like um, I, I think the holiday season is like uh, is that whole week from Christmas to New Year's. Like I will watch Christmas movies like up through then and everything. Um, while you still can, uh, if you can, if you want to, I definitely suggest watching it. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> The Ghostbusters bust the ghosts of of the Christmas Carol. And so uh, and Garfield and Friends, that had um, pretty good writing mm, as well. Yeah. But like, is, is that it? Just the Disney afternoon stuff? Real Ghostbusters and Garfield and Friends? That can't be it. But like, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they think Saturday morning cartoons, they think of like, you know, the toy selling ones and such. Um, when the Warner Brothers stuff, how can I forget about the Warner Brothers stuff? Yeah. But that's more like 90s than 80s. Yeah. Um, if we're going 80s, man. Yeah, no, for the most part, like they were just selling toys. I mean, a lot of them are fun. Like I won't yeah. turn oh, yeah. my nose up at like trans uh, Transformers. Oh no, no, I'm not saying that in any way. Like, don't get me wrong. I I love that shit. I like, you know what I love? I love Gem and the Holograms. I, I, I fucking love Gem and the Holograms to this day. Um, I, I don't know why I just do, but like it, they're just, they're just fun. You know, they're so fun in their novelty. Like, why is there an Ewoks cartoon? Who knows? But there is. See, the weird thing is, is that even though a lot of those 80 Saturday morning cartoons um primarily existed to sell toys the core concepts behind a lot of them were actually like really good and really memorable so it's nice seeing them like get redone in the modern day by you know writers and artists who are actually competent Mm -hmm. well i shouldn't say that like the writers of that era were incompetent i think that's a bit insulting to them i should say more that like you know they have more opportunity from the higher ups to actually yeah. write and direct and art as well as they could. Yeah. I think a lot of the times Saturday morning cartoons, uh, whether intentionally or not get eaten up by like that kind of like, uh, like, you know, a lot of them were created in the first place to sell toys. So like that corporate baggage, of like, <laughs> you know, 
And then that corporate baggage come from the baggage of deregulation by the Reagan administration. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when um, like I look back at like some of these cartoons or whatever um, that like, like obviously like some people like care about them and have nostalgia for or whatever. Um, and then like uh, I, I'm struggling to think of examples, but like, tell me if you know what I mean. Like if you see like a, like a reboot happening and like you see people like getting like up in arms about it and it's like uh it's like wait a minute that's like a <laughs> that's like one of them that didn't have much to it you know you mean like shira yeah you know um i still like, haven't watched ooh. that she rushed yet was it any good it is it's uh the characters are um there's like some dull moments i think um and there's some things that could be better but ultimately like shira and katra are really interesting characters and they're worth a watch um and just the way characters grow is really is really nice so now i i know that like you know the big like scary like um vaguely demonish looking villain also has like a love interest with like this oddball inventor girl is is yes I that, love that. That love, interests me. I love Entrapta. She's like one of the best, like written. I think, um, like, I don't understand like how people function. I'm just very, I'm just very into technology, dude. I don't know what's going on, but I'm here, and she's just very excited about that. And like, she's what, like, one of the. She's a very well written character in that regard. Um, and then how she like learns to you know uh and is shown and uh, with how she cares about things um and yeah it's it's really it's a really cute show it's worth a watch i i think uh no just anything noelle stevenson does she does with a lot of love so i think we've strayed far off topic enough let's get back to like a very merry poo year so so the other segment happy poo year was made not in the era of of new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, rather a far different era where Disney was primarily, you remember this, right? Disney was primarily using Pooh and the Pooh characters as like their preschool franchise. Yes. These were the ones for little, little kids. And this is kind of like when I was that age. So that's my like main um, exposure to Winnie the Pooh was like that time. Like there were like exclusively marking those characters like real little little kids. Yes. Which I guess makes sense on paper, but in hindsight, I don't think it like really does the characters justice. Like yeah. I remember when I was watching the um 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie, it shocked me just how funny those characters could be when yeah. they were written by for a target audience that wasn't preschoolers. Is that the movie with the not scene? Yeah, the not not not. Who's there? I forget how the rest of that scene goes. I I think I have it memorized. <laughs> can you tie a knot? I cannot. Oh, so you cannot. I cannot not. Not not. Who's there? Poo poo hoo. <laughs> it's kind of like the remind the um. You remind me of the babe. What babe scene? Babe with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? Who do you do? Do what? Remind me of the babe. Dan. Dance magic. Yeah, no. uh, magic. (laughs) It's one of those scenes that I have memorized for some reason. 
I honestly, I think the funniest been that whole scene is when like Al flies out of the hole to yeah. give Piglet a motivational speech and then oh, flies yeah. back into the hole. Oh yeah, it's so good. We'll we'll have to do an episode on that Winnie the Pooh movie someday. Yeah, because that one. How the hell do you do you think it's a good idea to open directly against the final Harry Potter film? Yeah, that was not a good look. <laughs> it almost feels like I know there are conspiracy theorists that say that like opening Prince and the Frog against Avatar and um, Winnie the Pooh against Harry Potter were like acts of deliberate sabotage against traditional animation. Mm. I'm not sure if I necessarily believe that for Prince and the Frog, but it definitely seems suspicious for Winnie the Pooh. It's just who was stupid enough, you know, to like decide that that's when they were going to happen. Like, so. I I think the logic was like the old idea of counter programming where you'd like release different movies for different audiences, like on the same date. Yeah. But counter programming doesn't work anymore because nowadays, like the big blockbusters are so broadly made to be as broadly appealing as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to, they're supposed to hit the nostalgia for like the, you know, 40 something year old men who remember it from their childhood and the children now and the moms who just like want a movie that's like not like. Just inoffensive enough to sit through for two hours, you know, with their kid. And, and like, I'm not even I'm not even talking about like family films. I'm talking about like the huge blockbusters. Yeah, no, I know. Same. Like somehow they uh blockbusters have to do this thing where they're edgy enough but also not too edgy for parental consumption yeah yeah it's hard line to balance i think that's another thing that i'm gonna have to blame shrek for mm, that's very fair um i really like the the like the shitty nostalgia blockbusters that just throw that out the window you know um I think that's why I like I, I to this day, like um, it's the one thing I guess I'll consider like a guilty pleasure is the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Like I love the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Um, they're just a special type of bad. Um, and like for whatever reason, like I didn't watch the um, straight up. I just didn't watch the 80s cartoon as a kid, you know. I watched it a little bit later in my life um, just because I was fascinated by just like the nature of like nostalgia and stuff. But like. I am nostalgic for the 2007 Shia LaBeouf, Megan Fox Transformers mo movie like that, like that's an emotion I feel sometimes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, but See, I never actually saw any of those movies in full. They're terrible on every level and they're not something I should be nostalgic for, but I look at it like the same way a, uh, you know, a 50 something year old might look at like uh, like an, a Scooby-Doo poster and be like, yeah, I remember like I remember that, you know, um, and I, I sit there and I look at uh, a Bumblebee pissing on that one dude and I'm like, yeah, John Turturro. Yeah. Critically acclaimed, beloved character actor John Turturro and Bumblebee's just taking yeah. a piss on him. And I'm just like, wow. I remember watching this when I was seven. 
It's it's weird how much of an apparent I'm going off topic again, but it's weird how much of an apparent attraction, uh, apparent affection Michael Bay has for Coen Brothers movies, given how yeah. frequently cast the actors that the Coen Brothers use in his movies. Yeah. When they're like as diametrically opposed as possible. Yeah. Which it makes which makes Pain and Gain his best movie because it's like yes. the intersection of Cohen and Bay. Yeah. I think I think Transformers is the movie that made my taste what it is today. And that is bad. <laughs> I just like bad movies. Uh, or I'm just I, I'm at least fascinated by them. And I think I saw Transformers for the first time as a kid. And I was like, wow, like, look like, you know, the, look at all the terrible things you can do in a film. This is amazing. This is awesome. Ugly, ugly looking character design. Um, yeah. Crass humor. Yeah. Really, in hindsight, grotesque um, sexual objectification of women. Yeah. Just it's it's phenomenal how much a movie can accomplish. Um, All of these things, you're like, yes, give me more. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely did get me fascinated by those concepts in 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 movies and in, in in Hollywood and B movies and everything. I got to I got to give it to Transformers. They really they really did that for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of our, like key moments of our bonding um, is that is that when we were started both bitching about uh-huh. like this is well like when we were in math class together and that's where we yeah. were, like first met we were like yeah. next to each other and yeah. like we were both bitching about some shitty B movie that we saw on like late night TV. What one was it? I think it. I think it was the one about like the magic Nehru jacket that makes like women automatically sexually attracted to you. Do you remember this? Vaguely. What movie was it? I hold on. Let me look this up now because I can't believe we're talking about movies about magic Nehru jackets that make women <laughs> horny in a Winnie the Pooh episode. <laughs> look at us. Um, hold on. I hold on. God damn it. I wish I could remember what that was. I'm looking at <laughs> magic Nehru jacket movie. Um, no, that's not it. It's not love potion number nine. Both of us on this frantic shirt, uh, on this uh, frantic uh, search. My my Google search history is going to be awful. I've got like magic Nehru jacket movie, magic Nehru jacket movie, mind control, magic sex jacket movie. <laughs> us looking for that, the horny jacket movie. Like, you know, that Nicki Minaj meme, the where she's like, just like making noises. You know, wait a minute. I remember it was Chick Magnet. That's the movie. Chick Magnet. Holy shit. Yeah. Right. I haven't thought about that movie since then. Remember the remember when they like had all of those like celebrities in like the name on the poster. um, And it turns out that the filmmakers had just like crashed very clearly in the movie, just like crashed some Hollywood premiere, forced a camera in front of these. um. Um, like actors and directors like Kevin Smith and Rosario Dawson and like oh. essentially like force them to improv in front of the camera while they clearly are desperately trying to weasel their way out of the situation. Oh my God. Yeah. Holy shit. Ah, uh, the beginnings of a beautiful friendship. Yes. 
And I think you were also bitching about one that I hadn't seen then, a road trip beer pun. Yeah, there's, oh my God, I completely for- forgot about these. Literally, they they didn't exist in my memory anymore. Like, you accessed a hidden memory. Like everything, it's like, it's like the ghost of Christmas past taking Scrooge back to the days yeah. of his schoolhouse. The memories look, come flooding back. Look at, like, <laughs> except, the, except, it, like, the ghost is, like, ha- holding me by the scruff of the neck. Like, what the fuck was this? Like, looking me dead in the eyes, like, Really? Really? You this know? is how you spend your time watching Chick Magnet and Road Trip Beer Pond. This is who you were as a as a like basically a child or an early teenager, a tween. What a life we lead. What a life we lead. Um <laughs> where were we on this? We we went some we we're we're like Jack Rourke this episode just uh, oh, yeah. dragging things off the rails. Um, we were talking about, I don't know, Winnie the Pooh. I mean, duh. Um, we were yeah. talking about... <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, my, the point I was trying to make is that this was the era in which Winnie the Pooh is treated like a preschool franchise. And yes. you can absolutely tell in the difference of the quality of writing between the Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2 segment and the Happy Pooh Year segment. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, one of them, uh, it felt so much more... Deeper and richer. Yeah. Because I actually really love that Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2 special. Like, they used to air it, like, on Freeform and, like, very bad, obscure hours, like, mm-hmm. paired up with Mickey's Christmas Carol. Then they just stopped airing both as part of their 25 Days of Christmas. This was back in the days when they still called themselves ABC Family. Yeah. Which, by the way, wasn't the original plan they were going to call themselves XYZ? Was it? Yeah. But then they discovered, like, do some contractual reasons they had to keep family in the name of the channel. Mm. But I guess that part of the contract expired with Pat Robertson. So now their only obligation that they got, they got to keep airing the 700 Club. Yeah. Like, how ironclad is that contract that Disney can weasel their way out of airing televangelism on one of their main basic cable channels? That's insane. (laughs) Absolutely bonkers. Um, so yeah, so, so how should we start approaching this movie? Should we just like go in? It's, I mean, and describe the the frame story. Sure. Yeah. So the first segment as like a framing device, which was not obviously not written by the writers of the original special, the, the special Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2 was written by, um, Mark Zaslov and Carl Gers who were heavily involved with the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh series. Mark Zaslov wrote the series Bible and also wrote like a whole bunch of episodes of the show, like uh, 28 episodes, actually. Oh, wow. Including like some of the most beloved, like the aforementioned uh, Finder Keeper, um, Donkey for a Day, uh, Monkey See, Monkey Do Better, um, Cleanliness is Next to Impossible, The Masked Defender. You remember that one? Yeah, vaguely, where like yeah. Twigger Tigger dressed up in like the swashbuckling hero. Yeah, and then Carl Gers not only he did write like one episode of the show, but he also, but he primarily directed a lot of the episodes of the show, including like many of the episodes that I had mentioned previously. Now, um, now he did not direct 
Carl Gears did not direct um, the special itself. That was directed by uh, one Jamie Mitchell, who who did direct like episodes of New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but beforehand, but prior to that, also directed like six episodes of DuckTales. I should also point this out that Carl Gears, the co-writer of Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2, um, would later go on to write for the film that came out this year. I Did you hear about this one? Bobblehead the movie. I did not. What is that? Bobblehead the movie is a new animated film from producer Lawrence Kasanov. You know, the food fight guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's a movie about bobbleheads. And it's directed by Kirk Wise, the co-director of Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Imagine going from Beauty and the Beast at Hunchback of Notre Dame and Atlantis the Lost Empire to Bobbleheads the movie. Bobbleheads. It also has Cher, has a bobblehead of Cher. <laughs> and Luke Wilson's in it for some reason. Nuts. I love that. <laughs> it's on Netflix right now. I, I, I know what I'm watching later. I, I really wish you wouldn't, Amanda. I know what I'm watching later. Yeah, I'm so sorry for inflicting this on you, even if inadvertently. <laughs> but the framing device is that they're like, you know, it's a basic stock Christmas special framing device where, you know, they're setting up for Christmas and then like, like someone's like, hey, you remember that one new Christmas when Santa almost didn't come? And mm-hmm. and Rabbit's like, oh, yes, I remember that Christmas that Santa almost didn't come. Um, let me sit down and tell the story of how when Christmas almost didn't come. And then it like transitions into Winnie the Pooh and Christmas, too. And by the way, you can easily tell the transition because while most of the film is done on like digital mm-hmm. um, paint and ink, you know, where you know, it's not actually on like paper primarily, they like digitally color it. Yeah. Um, with the Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2 segment is actually done on animation cells. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. Th- yeah. Also, something- the... Sorry, you want to oh, go? I was going to say, something about the shading is just, like, a little bit deeper and, like, uh, and a little, you know, just, like, sketchier, you know, whatever. I just like it. The animation's better, also. It moves less yeah. stiffly. Yeah. Whereas the segment is ultimately too stiff, so... What exactly did you think of Winnie the Pooh and Christmas 2? I thought it was adorable. Oh, it's great. It's a swell Christmas special. It's adorable, but it's also got a little bit more like, I guess we'll call it tension in it. um, With, you know, um, the way the characters interact is is so different between like the two. you, You can tell, you know? Yeah. Like the way they like get into um not arguments or whatever or whatever but like the way they piss each other off in little ways uh, sometimes you know it just feels more genuine um it's just so cute (laughs) it's but like it's so good um yeah it is it is very i do like like the story of it so essentially it begins with um the characters all um Christopher Robin writing a letter to Santa for all of for all of them and and himself. Um, Christopher Robin wants a sled. Um, Pooh wants honey, obviously. Um, Rabbit 
uh, ones, the new fly swatter, to kill bugs that turn out are sentient. So it's yes. so it's a bit odd that um, Rabbit spends this entire special wishing his deepest desire and his heart of heart is to kill. murder other sentient beings. Kill. He's got the bloodlust. He does. Out of all of them, of course, it was him. I think I think Piglet's uh, probably up there too, in, in with bloodlust. Look, all of those uh, pouncings and bouncings from Tigger have driven Rabbit to homicidal rage. Yeah. And obviously he can murder his comrades because they're all stuffed animals. They are immortal and will never die. Yeah. Even if even if dissected, they will they they will still live on. There's um, no satisfaction in murdering a stuffed animal because you can't rummage in the blood and guts and carnage. All you've got is like cotton filling. Yeah. And polyester. Yeah. And cloth. And cloth. Tear the build the bear workshop part out of out of them, you know. I forgot about those build bear workshop. Remember the weird yeah. ritual you had to do with those build bear workshop hearts? Oh yeah, you had to like I don't know. I don't even remember what you had to do. You had to like spin around, you had to sing or some shit. You had to blow on it, I think. Yeah. Um you had to um uh I don't know. Stick it up your nose. You had to uh swallow it to prove that you you you, you and your build a bear shall become one. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the best birthday parties always happened at Build a Bear. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like Chuck E. Cheese and Build a Bear. Two top choices for birthday. I was so wow. sad when they took out the Build a Bear from the mall. Yeah. And right? then it was just a kiosk. Yeah, a kiosk. Damn kiosk. They had this big elaborate store with like this nice colorful storefront, all these big props inside. Yeah. It's like when they got rid of the big flagship Toys R Us in Times Square and then just put up um, a shitty pop up like a couple blocks down. Yeah, it was a slap in the face. Yeah. Like, I want to see that giant T-Rex. I want to ride on the Ferris wheel. What the fuck is this? I miss the giant teddy bear guards in the Build-A-Bear workshop in the mall. Oh, yeah, I forgot about those. Yep. At least the Disney store is still there, I think. Yeah, it is. And they've got that new bowling alley. We're talking now we've now we've most of our audience probably doesn't even know what mall we're talking about. This here's the thing. This could be practically any mall. Um, I'm pretty sure most Build-A-Bear workshops have like turned into kiosks at this point. Um, I mean, there's that flagship store on 34th Street, New York City now. Yeah. But we're talking about the Build-A-Bear workshop that used to be in the Deptford Mall in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, the Deptford Mall. They got rid of the Sears at the Deptford Mall. Now one floor is a Dick's Sporting Goods and one floor is a new like arcade slash bowling alley. That actually sounds really fun. Yeah. That's another thing I was sad when they got rid of the old arcade in the mall. Oh, yeah. I missed that arcade. Yeah. I could play the Simpsons arcade game there. Yes. Marvel versus Capcom 2. Yeah. I think they had NFL Blitz there. So good. And a whole bunch of pinball machines, including the South Park one. Such a good one. I really like the Simpsons pinball machine. Pinball party? Yeah. Yeah, that one's good, too. With the giant Homer head that, like, follows you around. Yeah, it's good. I wonder how much of this we'll have to, like, edit out. I have no idea. Um, But... um, You can always tell, like, how interested we are in the movie itself 
um, based on like how much we end up like going off the rails in our discussions. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, this one's just like a short movie, you know? Yeah. Um, we chose it because like we need to get back on schedule after like like week long delays. Yeah. And and you know it fit the t- time season and you know there's not much to it. Essentially, like two. Like television, what should be television specials merge into one. Yeah. And one of them is a Christmas one. And then the next one is the um, the New Year's one. But we'll get there. Um, yeah. So. But, yeah. So like. So Rabbit wants to slice water to commit murder. Tigger wants a sh- snowshoe because he can't bounce in the snow without one. Yeah. And then Eeyore wants like an umbrella to keep the snow off his house. This literally. I love that the movie itself doesn't keep its own um what is it internal mythology In, internal mythology because then there's a scene later on where Tigger is like the snow doesn't stop me from bouncing yeah I was about but, to point that out when he got to the happy poo year bit like yeah I just brought did- it up now because I remembered um but like literally just like later on, he's just like bouncing in the snow and he's literally like, look, I can do this, which means um, uh, which must mean for the internal mythology to work that Tigger is constantly evolving and adapting to his surroundings, um, probably until he becomes the ultimate life form. Like um, species. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I should point out that currently um, Happy Poo Year is um, that currently this compilation film, um, Winnie the Winnie the Pooh, a very merry Pooh year, is currently the only way you can view um, um, a Winnie the Pooh and Christmas Two on either DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. Like really? in streaming, it doesn't exist in its original form. Wow. Yeah, which is especially galling given that they dubbed over the voice of Christopher Robin that special. With yeah. the voice of Christopher Robin in the Happy Poo Year segment. Yeah. But uh yeah, so you know, everyone wants a present except for Piglet, who's just like he's just chilling, you know? He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. He's just happy with whatever. So then they decide to write it all down and send it to Santa. Um, but they fuck it up. No, but here's what happens. The way they do it in the hundred acre wood, apparently, is that instead of like putting it in like a mailbox, which yeah. would be the reasonable action, they instead instead it to float off into the breeze with the marker um, of like a weather vane pointing whether it's north or south. Yes. Which I guess is whimsical, but also feels really impractical, especially yeah. since later on, um, Pooh and Piglet realize that they forgot to write something down for Pooh on the letter. Yep. And they end up going off to take it and find it absurdly easy. Like it's caught up in some branches. Yes. And so they take it back to Rabbit, where they added to add like a jar of honey for Pooh. And then they get greedy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a really funny variation on that in that they get greedy, but in a way that's also generous because because they tell because they start writing down for like the other for yeah. like the others like who wants to thank rabbit for putting two jars of honey on there by uh by putting down instead like a bug sprayer instead of a fly swatter and then rabbit's like we should get tig 
Tigger, we should put down for you uh, like a super bouncer to bounce all the way up to the moon and a a new house for Eeyore. Yeah. So it's like they're they're behaving selfishly, but believing they're generous. That's that's the irony is what I find amusing of that. That's what part of what endeared the special to me. Yeah, it's cute. And so they send they send the letter off again, but Pooh um, accidentally has the letter sit flying in like the wrong direction, sending it south instead of north. Yep. And once they pick up on this, it's too late. So at first, Pooh starts out by like posing as Santa. With, yeah. With Piglet as the reindeer. Yeah, and it's actually really. Cute seeing Pooh in like his fake Santa beard and and yeah. Santa hat and boots. Yeah, I also really like Tigger's sweatshirt in this statue. This green sweatshirt that's like a big T on it. Yeah, that's also really adorable. Yeah, and that's one aspect of the second segment that I miss. That none of the Winnie the Pooh characters have cute winter clothes on. You know what's weird in the movie po- uh, in the VHS cover. The, the the sweater is purple with the yellow tee. It is, isn't it? Um, and, and Tigger's got white mittens. Yeah. But yeah, I actually kind of want Tigger's sweatshirt for myself. Mm, it's good in sweatshirt. all honesty. It's a good one. Anyways, back to where were we? We were, um, so Pooh and Piglet pretend to be Santa and a reindeer. Um, and then that doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, they're like, because Pooh makes the gift himself, they're all like really crappily made. So yeah, like the rabbit's, the rabbit's bug sprayer is like a... Uh, you go. Huh? Say it again. I was just going to say the bug sprayer is, a, is like a teapot on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Um... Tigger is like a like barrel with a a boot attached to a spring that breaks apart immediately. Yes. Um, I love Eeyore's present, a mobile home, which is just a suitcase cramped around his clamped around his body. Yeah, that's really funny. And then they end up catching um this Santa and discover it's actually Pooh. Yes. And Pooh explains what happens, and then. Decides the only option is that he's got to take the letter himself to the North Pole, um, like walking there by himself, even if it means missing Christmas. So he goes and then he's sad and everyone else is sad because he's not there. And then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, everyone's like, like. Um, Piglet's openly sad. Rabbit, Tigger and Eeyore try to stay in good spirits, but eventually are like, yeah, this isn't. Enjoyable without Pooh. Yeah. And Pooh, meanwhile, this one always breaks my heart whenever I watch it. Like um, the wind blows the letter out of his grasp and into the breeze. Yeah. And he's just like pitifully like, come back. I'm supposed to take you to Santa. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually Pooh comes back and everyone's happy to see him. And he like... He's like, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to deliver the letter to Santa. And they're like, oh, it's fine. Then Christopher Robin comes and turns out Santa brought all the original presents they asked for after all. Tigger gets his snowshoe. Eeyore gets his umbrella. Rabbit gets his murder fly swatter. Yes. And 
Piglet get. I don't even know what it is that Piglet gets. I don't know. Looks like some sort of weird, like weird tea kettle type thing. Yeah. Did they say what it was? No. And then, like, Winnie the Pooh gets a pot of honey that he uses, like, a step stool to hug Christopher Robin. And then yeah. he's a special. Yeah. And then it gets to, um, and then it, we get, like, an ending to the, like, wraparound segment where, like, um, you know, they all exchange presents and, like, go play in the snow without winter clothes this time. Yeah. So they must be very cold. Yeah. Tigger gets through a sled, which is literally just a piece of driftwood. Yeah. Honestly, the wraparound segment sort of weakened the special a bit. Yeah. So that one's... Um, I much would have preferred to be able to watch the special on its own, but I guess we can't have that. Yeah. I do like the second half of the special, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not as good as the first half of the special, yeah. but like, like there's something as- to be said about its basic premise. Yeah, it's cute. So the second premise segment is Happy Poo Year, which was directed by the directing team of Gary Katona and Ed Wexler, who yes. had done work in like television animation before. Gary Katona before this had directed um, episodes of uh, Quack Pack mm-hmm. um, and the Hercules animated series. Yes. And then together as a team, Gary Katona and Ed Wexler had directed um, Great Minds Think for Themselves, a a short a short series of segments um that were made for um the disney one saturday morning block that you know to fit in with the educational television requirements that were instituted on saturday morning cartoons in the 90s yep and was actually one of the rare post um aladdin the king of thieves performances by robin williams as the genie which one of the provisions of his aladdin the king of thieves contract is that he would only um, agree to voice the genie for educational content with which this qualified. Yeah. So it's like um, essentially like the genie explaining the history of like various like great minds in history, like uh, Susan B. Anthony, George Washington Carver, Albert Einstein, Jackie mm. Robinson. Nice. Cesar Chavez was one of them. Oh, which. Wow. You know, them talking about Cesar Chavez must have had Walt Disney roll it um, thrashing and screaming in his cryogenic grave. Oh, yeah. And then the writer of the segment is one Brian Holfeld, who was actually uh, wrote a lot of the Winnie the Pooh stuff throughout the 2000s. He also mm-hmm. wrote the screenplays for um, Piglet's big movie and Pooh's Heffalump movie. Oh, cute. Nice. And was also a writer and executive producer on My Friends Tigger and Pooh. Nice. Do you, do you remember that show? The one where, like, instead of Christopher Robbins, a girl named Darby and, like, no. Tigger and Pooh dress up in, like, superhero costumes and become the detectives? Vaguely. Holy shit. Wait. You've unlocked another memory. This one's a wholesome one, though, so it's fine. Yeah. It's not, um, you know, road trip beer pong or chick magnet. No. But I also should also point out that he... That before this, he also wrote the Kevin Bacon starring film, He Said, She Said. Mm. And also was the voice of Daddy Dodo in Follow That Bird, the Sesame Street movie. Oh, wow. You, you remember the Dodo is a family that adopts Big Bird, but they're just like yeah. absolutely awful. They're like idiots with no imagination and yeah. they're bigoted against all non-birds. Yeah. Wow. I, I do like... um. 
that with if I can go off top again, I do like in Follow That Bird, they were able to like craft like a crappy family situation for Big Bird that wasn't like actively malicious. Yes, I agree. It's a hard thing to do um, to do like to strike good balance, you know. Follow That Bird is actually a really well done children's movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I have more nostalgic attachment to Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland because that's the one I watched first and most. But I think objectively, Follow That Bird is the better movie. Yeah, I don't think... I don't know if I've actually seen it in, in full. Um, but I know I've, I've, like... I didn't watch it, like, as a kid. I watched it when I was, like... Uh, well, I didn't watch it when I watched, like, the rest of Sesame Street stuff. I watched it when I was a little bit older. The villains are voiced by... The villains are played by... Dave, Joe Flaherty and Dave Thomas. Nice. The Sleaze Brothers. The Sleaze Brothers. And their fun fair. <laughs> <laughs> and they kidnap um, Big Bird and paint him blue and, and hawk yeah. him as the blue bird of happiness. Yeah, I remember that. Back, getting back on topic. So yeah, so yeah. So yeah, so happy poo year. You want to describe what the basic premise of this one is? Um, yeah, this one, um, is, uh, Rabbit is going to host a, um, a party. He, he's not, he doesn't even ask to host a party. Like, Christopher Robin shows up with party decorations, just apparently just wandering around carrying a box of party decorations for a party that they do not know the location of yet for New Uh. Year's. Um, Rabbit is like, um, uh, in his house or whatever, and he's chilling and he's got this like little plant. What is it? He's got a carrot and that's very important to him. Um, and, uh, uh, because that's the carrot he's going to use to plant his garden for the spring. And then Pooh comes in. And if I may interrupt, go for it. By the way. You always see rabbit gardening in these, in this stuff. Yes. Do you ever actually see him eat the food he gardens? Maybe he sells it. Maybe to he, who? What money know. is there in the hundred acre wood? What currency? Maybe he sustains. Maybe it's like a, they just uh, they all eat it together. They sustain each other. <laughs> I don't know. They live in a commune. Um, <laughs> like hippies. Yeah, the Hundred Acre Woods is just a hippie commune (laughs) for these little these little animals. That's cute. Anyways, so Pooh comes in and and like then Piglet comes in and Tigger comes in and Eeyore comes in and like Rabbit's irritated with all of them. Tigger for his bouncing, which, you know, Tigger has a long history of like being inconsiderate with his bouncing, especially towards Rabbit, Mm -hmm. which I can understand that. Piglet for being afraid. Afraid. Okay, I can also see how that can that can get tedious. Like being such a scaredy cat. Um, Pooh always like mooching off of his honey, which yeah. again can understand that. He also snaps at Eeyore for being so gloomy all the time. Which okay, that's a bit uncalled for, Rabbit. Yeah. Like, what did Eeyore ever do to you? He stayed Eeyore out of everyone's nothing. way. Eeyore did nothing. He's just chilling. Eeyore innocent. All caps. Three exclamation points. <laughs> He just needs some therapy, maybe. Um, well, I think all of the characters in Winnie the Pooh need, need therapy. There, but yeah. I think this ties into what 
my big problem with a lot of like the 2000s way the poo material is is that they always make rabbit seem reasonable yeah even though he's not yeah like he's being a drama queen like ideally you're supposed to view rabbit as like just as uh like crazy as the rest but like believe him to self to be the most sane one in the room but then when Rin Ron, like I believe they are here, um, it, it makes Rabbit genuinely seem like he's like the same one in comparison. The fact that like he is serious about moving and like like that's the thing that happens is um is that he is like, I'm sick of this shit, I'm gonna move. Like and the like, SpongeBob episode, the Tentacle Acres one. Yeah, but this is like this feels different because like rabbit has always been the one that gets like annoyed or whatever, but he's always still been like, you know, a loving friend. And so this kind of feels a little mean spirited, you know? Yeah. I see, I see what you mean of like, I'm actually sick of you people. Like I know he's the Squidward in the situation, but Squidward literally like for the most part is like always pissed off, you know? Where and like is like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Rabbit is like annoyed a lot of the time, but he's like, okay, you know, like, I still love you guys, you know. And see, that's also Squidward's another character that if you, if Rin Ron, if the other characters are Rin Ron, he genuinely comes off um, as like the only sane one as opposed to like the pompous ass that he is. Yeah. Like, You're not supposed to side with Squidward. You can feel sympathy for Squidward. Yeah. But if it's Squidward versus SpongeBob, you're usually supposed to side with SpongeBob, ideally. Yeah. If, I mean, if it's Squidward versus Mr. Krabs, then yeah, you're supposed to side with Squidward because yeah. death to management, labor rights forever. Yeah. Um, in this one, it just feels weird because like they're not doing, they're not even doing that much chaos, you know, in comparison to like other things. Like, I was expecting that the carrot was going to get destroyed. No, the carrot's fine. The carrot should have been destroyed. Like, it, it's a blatant setup for a payoff that never happens. If like, the carrot is destroyed, this fixes everything, and he has every right to be, like, actually angry. Hey there, this is uh, Dallin Agatone, the co-host of Lost in the Vault. So, um, as you all know, we're still dealing with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So, in the interest of our own personal health and safety and not wanting to infect each other or anyone else, um, for like a little under a year now, Amanda and I have been recording these episodes separately in separate locations through the internet. And occasionally technical glitches will follow. And in the unfortunate case of this, uh, um, due to um, some technical glitches regarding recording the episode, an entire four minute chunk of this episode was lost, which is a real shame because um, well, for one thing, it was a particularly funny bit we were doing. Um, it even had a callback to Ganussi from the No Mobile episode. I'm sure you would have all liked that. But also it means that there's now a huge gap in how we explain the plot. So 
to like limit the amount of confusion and to get you caught up to where the recording continues as normal, just know that um, in the sequence of a plot event, um, Pooh and the gang decide to start upon their New Year's resolutions to become less like themselves and the process begin acting like each other. So right now we're discussing um, Eeyore. Um, beginning to act like Pooh, in this case, walking on his hind legs and smiling and wearing like a red shirt and eating honey. So that's what we're discussing right now. So just imagine we were talking about that before we resume. Thank you for your patience and understanding. No, actually, um, your acting as Pooh frightened me because... Oh, really? A, he's walking on hind legs, which yeah. is like an uncanny valley yeah. type thing. Like, like it, it's weird to look at. Yeah, that's fair. And he's also, his smile is unpleasant to me. Yeah. Like, how much teeth he's showing. Like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I it, it tapped into some, like, instinctual reaction to my brain where I just wanted to, like, hide in terror. It maybe it was because he was acting too much like a donkey in some ways, like you know, just like the I don't know. Um, it would be like if if Winnie the Pooh just like I don't know went over to the river and just like fucking like ripped a salmon out of that and just like took a bite, you know? It would be like what the fuck? Like um, if uh, Piglet rolled around in his own filth, yeah, or Rabbit um. Bred heavily with a lady rabbit. I don't like that. In my head, rabbit is just like this, like kind of like Squidward, just like this, like older gay dude who is just like trying to like tend his garden and just chill, you know? So where? Yeah, right. How creepy Eeyore is. Eeyore. Um, so Eeyore is a little creepy. Um, well, you know what I've made it worse? And I'm thank God they didn't do this. Yeah. If Eeyore's ears perked up. Yeah. That would be weird. Right? I don't want that. Yeah. So, so like, they show up the rabbit with, like, their new personality. Then Rabbit, of course, is freaked out by he's this. even more repulsed. He's like, fuck y'all. I'm out of here. Now I'm, like, actually out of here because y'all crazy. Bye. He's got a map to a place called Pleasant Acres. And now I, I mentioned the SpongeBob episode before. Yeah. I kind of would have loved to see that play out the same way where like goes to Pleasant Acres and he gets bored. It's too heteronormative for him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, they expect me to to mate. Oh, no, <laughs> I just want to. It's a, it's a rabbit swinger commune. Yeah. Um, and he's just not into into that. Yeah. So then that happens. And then and then what happens? Like rabbit like gets blown away by a gust of wind and like caught on a tree near like a beehive, right? Yes. And uh, Tigger bounces to save him. And Pooh grabs the honey from the beehive. And um, rabbit forgives them. And they all have a New Year's Eve party at his house. And, you know, they all sing all line sign happy ending. Yeah. And then Carly Simon drops in in the credits to cover Auld Lang Syne. And that's the first time Carly Simon would take the Winnie the Pooh films with her presence, but not the last, unfortunately. No. Like, two whole Winnie the Pooh movies ruined with their shitty folk rock. Yeah. 
she just wasn't the it wasn't the right fit oh and we'll probably get into this more when we talk about like piglet's big movie and Pooh's heffalump movie yeah yeah so that's the that's winnie the pooh a very merry pooh year oh did we mention the piglet present Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a whole thing uh, that we completely forgot about. But that was kind of like the big thing that like wrapped the things together. Yeah, like the beginning, Pooh hides Piglet's Christmas present so he doesn't see. Then um, he loses it in the middle. He, yeah. he doesn't remember. Yeah, he doesn't remember where he put it. And then he find, remembers where it was at the end. It's like a music box that plays online sign. Yeah. And he sings to, to Piglet, which is very cute. I like yeah. that. I mean... Winnie the Pooh's always cute. Those like designs. Yeah. Whoever who did the designs on those like original Pooh characters for the um um Winnie the Pooh shorts? Because whoever did that um really did a very good job of creating like appealing designs. Yeah, I don't know. I should also mention that Gopher shows up in the Winnie the Pooh and Christmas Two segment, and you never really see Gopher anymore, do you? No. Like I, I mean I. I get it. He's the only character who is not in the book. Yeah. And you know what? I was like, wait a minute. Is that Al wasn't there? Al wasn't in this either. Yeah, Al just wasn't here. And I love Owl, so I missed him. So, yeah, that's anything else we want to say about this before we. Um, um not really. Um, yeah, no, you can tell where it. I mean. It's a weird thing to say, like, they sanitized Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Um, like, like there should be some conflict. About, like, Winnie the Pooh, ideally, should be, like, a comedy of uh, errors. Yeah. With, like, all these, like, different, like, eccentric personalities clashing with each other. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that leads to, like, the big mistake and I, honestly, I think that's why Disney trying to market Winnie the Pooh as like a preschool franchise, while pro- effective and like worked on paper, didn't really benefit the characters. And no. honestly, in the long run, probably tainted the reputation because now they're seen as like way too kiddie. You know? Yeah, I always I grew up thinking they were. I I stopped watching them when I stopped being like a you know a very young young child. Like Christopher Robin, like threw a lot of people for a loop for for mm-hmm. how for how just so melancholy it I is. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting how like two years in a row, um, you and McGregor starting films about like adults whose whose bad childhoods have left them like um socially maladjusted and um. Mm. And like emotionally distant from themselves, and they're yeah. like as different as it can be. It's Christopher Robin and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, that's hilarious. But yeah, no, I thought this was cute. Um, obviously, cute. the strongest, the strongest part was the uh, "We Need the Pooh and Christmas Two segment. Oh, absolutely. I'd say if there was a way to like watch, if you could find a way to watch "We Need the Pooh and Christmas Two by itself, do that. Yeah. Um. But if you really, but in a pinch, this will do. Yeah. Or like, if you just want to put something on for your kid for like Christmas or New Year's, this is fine. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's there's nothing harmful or offensive about it. It's and true. Not, 
It's yeah, it, it's 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 good enough. Yeah, it's just what it needs to be. Yeah. All right. So uh, happy New Year, Amanda. Happy New Year. All right, and happy New Year to you all too. Next time on Lost in the Vault. Vacation. Hi. Hi. Two people searching for love. This is the most romantic thing ever. I've always dreamt of seeing Los Angeles. One chance to go the distance. I was just wondering what the plan was for dinner tonight. Oh, I don't care. What do you feel like? Okay. I'm going to go for a walk. But sometimes. I forgot my anniversary with Mary. You have to break your heart. You know when you've been trying to figure something out and you can't figure it out and you figure it out and you're like, duh. To find its other half. You're my best friend. Jason Siegel. I love Mary. I love her so much and I can't lose her. Amy Adams. I love you too. Kermit the Frog. Hi there. Miss Piggy. Kermit! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, 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 stop. Are there Muppets in this movie? Well, yeah, yeah. Come on, guys, let's go! The Muppets. Oh. <laughs> wow, that was an expensive looking explosion. I can't believe we had that in the budget. Well, you made it this far, so I guess you like our show. Want to support it? Check us out at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or simply go to our website at anchor.fm slash lost in the vault. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lost Vault Cast and Instagram at Lost Vault Podcast. You can also email us at Lost in the Vault Podcast at gmail.com or join the official Discord. Link in the episode description. And also please remember to rate, review, and share. We really appreciate your feedback. Thanks for listening.